1 Corinthians chapter 15 is where we are this morning, kind of taking a break from our normal pace of moving through Genesis currently, verse by verse. But I'm going to take this subject, obviously, resurrection, and particularly Paul's discussion regarding new bodies and what we're going to receive at that resurrection. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you drop right down to verse 35, Paul says, But someone will say, How are the dead raised up, and with what body do they come? And the way he expresses that is the idea of the critic or the cynic who would say, you know, that's a ridiculous thing. Their bodies decomposed and gone, and how could that possibly be? In Acts chapter 26, verse 8, and there it is recorded, Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? You insert God into any circumstance and nothing is impossible. God can do whatever he wants to do. Um, you know, I've shared this story a couple other times, but I uh, was a young man and had just surrendered my life to the Lord and married my young bride, and we were raising our oldest daughter. She was very little at the time, and uh, because of my background and irresponsibility and criminal behavior, I was without a license and had finally worked through getting that back and still didn't have a car. I uh, was at a Bible study one night and was too prideful, too embarrassed, and was praying in that Bible study that the Lord would make it possible for us as a family to have a car. And after the service, a friend, Paul Smitherman, uh, said, you know, hey, I see you around here all the time and you got a young family, but uh, I notice you're always walking or I see you riding your mountain bike to work. Uh, you know, do you not have a car? And I said, well, I just got my license back and I start this whole embarrassed explanation. He just says, oh, I, I got an old junk car that's, you know, available. I'll give it to you if you want it. And so we inherited the 1977 Chevy Impaler is what we referred it. You know, it was a horrendous car. Just, just driving the rainstorm, you hit the puddles, you got to like stamp your feet down on the floor mat to keep the water out. It was adventurous. And um, so many months later, hadn't been quite a year, I got pulled over and uh, police officer said, are you aware that you have no lights on the back of this car? Like, not brake lights, not running lights, not and you have no lights at all. Like, you're just a black wall. I said, no, I had no idea. He said, well, I'll escort you home because it was just around the corner. He said, but don't ever drive this car again. So I had a friend look at it, and the wiring harness was severed, and it was going to be $700, and, you know, the car was, well, I bought it for a dollar. So, you know. Do you sink $700? No, you don't. And uh, so I, that day, had the car towed off just to get the junk out of the yard and got the mountain bike back out. And I pedaled my way to work, and as I was coming through the middle of town, I hear this voice shout, uh, Hey, Will. And I turn around, and it's Paul Smitherman, the guy that gave me the car. And, uh, you know, I've been praying all morning, God, you got to do something. I don't have the ability to buy myself a new car. And there's Paul. He says, why, why aren't you driving the Impala? 
Sadal broke down, wiring harness, you know, seven at all. He takes out a business card and writes on the back of it for me this guy's name, phone number, and says, you got to call Rudy right now, like right now. They've got a car, and they need to sell it, and you need to go see him. And I said, oh, okay, you know, and, and the, again, my pride, I'm thinking I've got like $350 in the bank, you know. I can't afford a car. He's very insistent. you got to call Rudy. I get to work, and I'm telling my boss, and he says, well, you got to call Rudy. I said, okay. And so we call him up, and he says, come on over. I need to get rid of this thing quick. And I get there, and it's this beautiful little Subaru Geo, this, you know, California car. I find out one owner, the woman who's trying to sell it. I'm talking to her husband. You know, it's got brand new tires on it. I mean, you know, people say these sorts of stories, but, like, it's still got, like, the little rubber knobby jobbies on the tires, like that new stickers on the exhaust system that haven't even burned off you know sony stereo system sunroof i'm doing the math in my head you know i'm up to like 12 1500 in my mind and again as we go in to talk about this i'm just lining up to where i'm going to say hey thank you for letting me look at the car but i can't afford it and as i come through the door she just pulls out this big folder and starts with and this is when i bought it and this is, you know, every oil change it's ever had. And this is, and this is what I just did. To, and I'm just thinking, oh, you're just making the hole deeper. I can't, no way can I afford this car. And so she gets all done and says, uh, so what I really need for the car is $300. And I'm like, okay, so where'd you steal it? You know, I, I don't, $300. I say, why are you selling? You got to just give me a reason why you're selling it. And uh, she says, well, number one, we're Christians and we want to bless another Christian family, she said, but uh, number two, um, I went to school uh, and I've become a radar specialist who um, is particularly involved in the design and the maintenance of backscatter radar systems, which if you're not familiar with that, it shoots the signal to a satellite and then that bounces down to this, so they can look around the curvature of the earth for intercontinental ballistic missiles that might be coming. So. She says, I, I've currently been taking care of this one and its communication with the satellite station in the Philippines. And two days ago, Mount Pinatubo blew up and uh, buried Andrews Air Force Base underneath 21 feet of rock. So they've restationed me to Washington, and now I've got to realign stuff so that Washington will talk to Bangor and a couple other places. But they've literally given me 48 hours to get there. So I have to move. Like today, I need to get rid of this car. And uh, so, I mean, I bought the car, but the spiritual lesson for me was that if I'm in need and I pray, God's willing to blow up a mountain and bury an Air Force base in order to get me a car. It was a powerful lesson as a young Christian. There have been times I've prayed for cars since then and not gotten them. But the evidence in how God cares for us, right? If you can't get past the first verse of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Why move forward? Why be involved with his faith? The, the, the fact that Jesus Christ can resurrect the dead lines right up with creation and everything else. Do we function in that? Do we live in that mindset that, you know, as you know, the scripture says, with man, 
this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. So consider where your heart is in regard to the greater picture. Now in verse 36, he says, foolish one. Now, in the um, original language, uh, he says blatantly, oh, you fool. Now, you got to understand the potency of that from God's word, right? Proverbs and Psalms tell us the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And that's literally what Paul is invoking here is that thought of you say, you know, church at Corinth, you say you're believers, but somehow you've let go of the very essence of our faith, which is resurrection, the power over sin. If that's not present, then all is lost. And that's what Paul is saying. You, you, you say you're a believer, but are you a fool who says there is no God? So this statement, foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. There's another spiritual lesson right there for us. If we're looking for the spiritual life as a Christian, and it just always seems to elude us, we, we can't quite live as the believer that we think we should be. There's just always a falling short in it. Have we died yet? Right? Isn't this what Jesus said? You, you want to be my follower? Take up your cross daily and follow me. There's a daily crucifixion of the flesh that has to occur. We have to die. You want to see the fruitfulness of life. You want to see the resurrected power in our life today, then there has to be a dying to self every day, right? Somehow that ugly monster revives while we sleep. And we wake up the next morning, and if you're not ready to start killing it all over again, it takes over and the flesh runs the whole program. You know, so many people come into the faith and their failures they blame on God. Oh, I wanted to be free of this, or I wanted to be free of that, but they don't take any responsibility in surrendering themselves to the death of self. We're going to die to our own desires. We have to die to our sinfulness every single day. We have to put that to an end. So there's the greater picture, you know, this death of a, a believer is not made alive unless it dies, but the, the picture of the spiritual application of dying to ourselves. Verse 37, and what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. Now that's a significant thing in regard to resurrection. Because you don't take you know, a wheat seed and put it in the ground expecting that a wheat seed is going to come out of the ground. You're not going to go back and there's just going to be one little sort of root and there's a wheat seed on the end of it and you pick it. Right? I, I planted this and now I've got this. A one-to-one -one exchange. Instead, you get an entire body that is the stalk of wheat which contains the heads and kernels. And from the one you know, humble seed, you get the magnificent plant. You know, not just larger... But there's life. You take the dead seed and put it in the ground, and you get the thing which is alive and produces so much more in the process. And so it is, he's saying here, 
spiritually. You know, you long for the individual who's passed away and you wish them back to yourself. How they're coming back isn't as the humble state that they went into the ground. They're coming back glorified, resurrected, empowered as Christ was at his resurrection in some ways. The scripture verifies that. Even this passage, you know, God gives it us, that person, a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. You know, <clears throat> people want to argue and say, well, you know, someone that died in a fire, someone that, you know, drowned in the ocean, was eaten by sharks, or, you know, someone that just died in the middle of the prairie, you know, during the, the uh, expansion into the Western world. Everything about them is gone and dissolved and returned to ashes or dust. And, and, you know, how could God... Look, again, if God can create the entire known universe by speaking it into existence, he, you know, I've heard explanations of all he needs is a single cell. He doesn't need a single cell, right? He's got you backed up somewhere. Your record is on file. He can just call up the blueprints and rebuild and make it all the more magnificent you know, I, I, uh, working uh, on, on different especially waterfront properties you know they have those rules about you know not disturbing the waterfront creating a bigger footprint you can't build the building you know beyond certain percentages of what the original was there I was with a man up in Greenville and uh, I was there at the original camp and then I was back after the rebuild years later, and uh, I just, you know, sort of snuck in the conversation. So, uh, you know, aren't you supposed to keep like a certain percentage of the original structure? You know, like what about this building is? And he said, oh, um, the interior of all of this wall's framing and uh, that beam right there. <laughs> and the rest is this magnificent structure all around. They found, you know, a loophole that if you were tearing something apart and it was rotten and you couldn't keep it, then that fit under the other category of reasons that you could demolish the entire structure. So they had like basically about, you know, 11% of the original structure, which is now like 200% bigger than what it was in the beginning. You know, to walk in there and say, yeah, this is the old place. We just rebuilt it. I mean, how much of us, I, I hope there's a whole bunch of me that's gone, you know, both materially and mentally and, and lots of other ways. I want the reconstruction. I want the new being. It's going to be so far beyond what we currently have. Look at verse 39. All flesh is not the same flesh, and there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies. But the glory of the celestial is one, the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. But one star differs from another star in glory. I've done a fair amount of reading and researching all of that just from the biblical interest, but also, you know, having worked as a science teacher, shared a lot of things on the regard to 
creation. There's some remarkable things just contained within this. I don't mean to go off on a big discussion, but you know, this idea that one group of animals changed and became another group of animals. You know, science is actually way beyond that in its understanding today. Everything that exists is built from the DNA that is inside it. You can't divert from the original DNA. You have to add more DNA information or take away DNA information. And what we know about every living thing is it functions under the law of thermodynamics, which is entropy, particularly is what I'm talking about. Deterioration. Things are deteriorating. DNA is being lost. You know, when people, you know, today... I hear a lot of talk about, oh, well, you know, the disease and, you know, the, the things that are happening. And, you know, look at all the allergies. Look at all these things. The DNA in the human structure is breaking down and falling apart. In the meantime, it's falling apart in creation around us, which is a mutation of that, which is attacking our body all the more. We're experiencing death as an entire creation, including the entire universe. It's all falling apart, right? You know, you start this discussion and you know, just get people to slow down enough and think about the fact that the sun's burning off 120 million tons of mass a second. That means at some point it's going to burn out. There's actually a chemical structure change that happens in stars where they reach a point of their fuel consumption where they actually change composition chemically and begin to burn much faster. So there is the idea that ahead of us is the death of our solar system, the death of our universe. It's fast approaching. All of these bodies are different, yet created by God. You know, the, the, the evolutionary theory that lizards became birds. You know, whether you're aware of that portion of the theory or not, you know, literally what science teaches in that thought is that the lizards so desired to fly. There were no other birds that they were looking at to say, wow, I wish I could do that. They just had this sense that they wanted to fly. So they began to change themselves. This is the theory. They began to grow out their scales longer and longer. And those separations in the scales started to feather out and split. And over time, literally became feathers until that lizard uh, started to just jump and glide. Until eventually, it was completely changed over to a bird. Now, here's the thing. The speculation is that took more than 10 million years to occur. The transition from lizard to bird. Yet, there are no lizard birds in any of the fossil record. Something between lizard and bird. There's no transitionary fossil showing us that they were once lizards and became birds. Okay? Another element of that is there's no extinction of a certain class of lizard while simultaneously there's an emergence of a certain class of birds. You, know, you don't see these things happening. And so you know, when cornered on this issue, scientists want to say, well, that's uh, because we, we experience what's known as a sudden, spontaneous equilibrium. No long evolutionary process, it just instantly happened. That's what they teach. 
that the, the lizard just wanted to become a bird for so long. He just got really frustrated with it. I'm not making this up. This is their explanation. I'm just telling you what they, that they just suddenly changed. And so this lizard stopped being it, and now these birds existed. And yet, again, we don't see that in the fossil record, where no more of these lizards and suddenly these birds. Here, this is backing up what Genesis originally said. God created all the animals and said, reproduce according to your kind. Okay, I'm not like just diverting into a subject that I enjoy here. Okay, This is literally the, the Lord through Paul saying here, there are different kinds of flesh. Okay, We, we have the Spirit of God in us. Not so with the animal kingdom. They don't look forward to a resurrection as we do. We're going to be, we go, well, no animals in heaven? My dog didn't go to heaven? I can't really answer that. I'm really glad there's not a room full of kids. I will say this, when the Lord comes back with ten thousands of his saints, they're all riding horses. From heaven, they're riding horses. You deal with it. I don't know what to do with that. The point here is animals and birds, you know, resurrection. There is, you know, the idea that there are such massive class distinctions in creation that he goes right through to the sun and the moon and how magnificent they are in compared to us, in compared to the animal and then the plant kingdom. There is a spiritual order that God has designed. We, created in his image, will be resurrected and experience this resurrected life in Christ. We should be looking for People get their focus so set on this universe, this solar system, this realm. Look, if he's going to resurrect us, and you can look at that concept and go, yeah, that's a wonderful thing. I do want that. Then hear what he's saying in Revelation chapter 21, about I looked and behold, and there was a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had been done away with. There, all of the light is radiating from Jesus Christ. He is what illuminates all of the new... I, I want that creation. I want the day where all things are good where we're not concerned about war and famine and pestilence and starvation and death, where it's only the life of Christ. Everything has its own flesh, and the Lord is going to give us that resurrection in him. Remarkable thing. Uh, just uh, i got to deviate one more time into that celestial, uh, terrestrial glory there. There's a whole bunch about this creation on earth that we understand based upon the eclipse. I don't know if you're aware of that. Okay, You know, the right size moon placed at the right distance to perfectly block out that sun. And any of us that have witnessed eclipse also know that it's just perfectly blocking the sun to the point that the radiation is coming around that moon at the same time. So you can't look at it with the naked eye. It'll damage your eye. But because the light is being bent by the gravitational pull of the moon, it separates the light in our atmosphere. That's actually how we discovered helium. The fact that the light was passing through and they saw 
hue and glow that was like, wait, wait a second. That's, that's not from the normal perspective of oxygen. What are these other things that are in our atmosphere that are creating that pinkish glow? And from there, a whole bunch of the gas realm and the light realm was discovered, right? Infrared and X-ray and all these other elements discovered because of the eclipse. If that wasn't perfectly there, we'd be ignorant to a number of things about the environment we live in. Not only did God create creation in such a perfect way that it was examinable, is that a word? But he also put the perfect observers here to witness. Was that all of that glory in creation, Paul said to us, is pointing to the Creator. It has to be that at some point, somebody scratches their head and says, now how in the world could that moon be that right distance away from that sun? That we could observe all of these things. God's glory revealed in creation and then move into the most glorious aspect of his creation, human beings. Created in his image with his breath of life in us. So, sorry about the rabbit trail. Do with it what you want. Verse 42 so also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. We long for the spiritual. Jesus Christ was raised in that spiritual if you compare the two kinds of bodies, right? Because the spiritual resurrected body is based upon the natural body, but there are profound differences between these. First of all, incorruption triumphs over corruption, right? Rot and decay. So currently we're experiencing a body that is decaying, right? The moment you were born, you were on your way to dying. Every single day, every single breath was one less you were going to have. You were not so with a resurrected body, right? The, the you know, corruptible body was destined for the grave, dying in process from the very beginning. Not so with the incorruptible body. It will not ever have that deterioration in its existence. Glory triumphs over dishonor. Now, we, as glorious and profoundly as we are created, are sinful people. And there's a coming day where there won't be any dishonor in our existence. Not even in our existence. Only His glory. Power triumphs over weakness. Right? Even at the peak of our youth and our strongest moments, oh, we were incredibly weak. Physically, spiritually, mentally, we were so weak in comparison to so many other elements of creation. Jesus Christ, the angels, the Lord on his throne, inferior in our existence. Spiritual triumphs over natural. You know, this, this sense that we have of you know, the natural is just so magnificent. You look around and so many people are worshiping creation. You know, one of the strongest arguments I have had as a Christian with another human being was over the fact that the earth is someday going to die. And, oh, he was riled right up and just 
wanted it to be because of all the human pollution and all the things we've done. And we, we went through a process of discussion of examining the fact that even if you removed all human beings from creation so that they wouldn't affect creation negatively or positively, this is all going to die and fall apart anyway. It's not the influence of the human race that is most responsible for the destruction of this planet. You know, I mentioned Mount Pinatubo earlier, erupted in 1992. That volcano blasted a uh, pyroclastic cloud 15 miles into the stratosphere. As the Earth continued to turn inside its atmosphere, it just spewed that filth out blanketing the globe for days. That one volcano's eruption cooled the entire Earth's atmosphere by two degrees. One volcano. We have more volcanoes erupting all over the planet than ever before in history. Polluting the atmosphere thousands of times more than all human pollution combined. The Earth is destroying the Earth more than anything else, you guys. It's going to die. The, the, the world is going to die. Creation is going to die. The universe is going to be rolled up like a scroll, is what the Scripture says. We're seeing it transpire right in front. We're longing for the new creation. Amen? It would be beyond all of this. Verse 45. And so it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. So you have that creation. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. That is Jesus Christ. The, the most significant human being of all creation is Jesus Christ. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual. That second uh, being superior to the first is all through the Scripture, right? Jesus' very first miracle turning water to wine. And there the master of that uh, ceremony came and said, you know, what you've given is superior to what was first served. That's a spiritual picture of all of Jesus' ministry, right? The Jewish religion, the Jewish law, the sacrifices, all pointing to him or of him, signifying this relationship with God. When Jesus arrives, it's so superior to that which was created first, so dramatically inferior. You know, just having a discussion with one of the younger people from the church about you know all the different generations we have. You know, you have the baby boomers and on through, and you know you can go back even further. You know, in the 30s they were known as the flappers, and the flappers you know later became uh, the hipsters, and you know later you know the greasers, and you know eventually the hippies, and you know. You move all in, and everybody's kind of all scared of, you know, Generation Z. You know, I just, that's the current generation that's coming up. The millennials, right? Everybody goes, oh, millennials. You know, they're actually separated into two groups, whether you're aware of this or not. There, there's, okay, if you think you're a millennial, you don't have to raise your hand, but just think about this for a minute. How many of you guys remember millennials? The video game Ozark Trail? Okay. Or was that the name of it? Was it? Oregon Trail. Thank you. So um, the, the millennials are divided into the, the that video game versus the later millennials who never played it, don't know what you're talking about. Uh, so th this this whole thing of 
you know, each generation and its its differences and its changes and superior and inferior. When I was talking to this young man, I said, "You ever you ever play that? You know, um, whatever we just mentioned that game." And uh, said, "My memory, I'm falling apart, deteriorating right in front of you." So um, he said, "Yeah, absolutely." I said, "Would you play it on like a Commodore 64?" He's like, "Yeah, that was it. I played on a Commodore 64." We were talking about you know the first being inferior to what comes later as superior. I said, uh, your cell phone probably has millions of times more computing capability than that Commodore 64. He's like, oh, yeah. I said, would you ever want to go back to using the Commodore 64? He just laughed. You know, maybe for a minute for nostalgia, you know. But after that, you're going to box it up and send it right to Goodwill. Who's going to throw it right in a trash can. You know what I'm saying? It's just the first that comes is inferior to what comes later. Why, why do we want to cling to this earth and this creation so badly? The only reason, believers, is if we aren't truly trusting Christ and looking forward to what he's promised us. If we're trying to preserve this. Now, don't, don't take that the wrong way. We as believers should be the greatest conservationists on this earth, caring for God's creation better than anyone else. We should be tending to it, mastering it, and making it work well. But trying to cling to it and keep it, there's something so superior coming, right? You know, we've all known those guys, haven't we, right? You know, they get to a certain place in technology, they're not going any further. You know, they're still using their Betamax, you know, to watch movies. Some of you are like, Betamax, well, yeah. Pre-VHS. Showing the kids in the school here, you know, uh, um, uh, CD. I'm not making this up. And they're like, like DVD. I'm like, no, CD. Like CD? What What does CD do? They don't know. We used to listen to music on CDs. You're older than you think. I have to explain to them that the data that you have on your phone, you know, nine-year-old, the phone that you own, I don't know how that works, but they've got MP3 that actually isn't even on their phone. They're streaming it online. If they don't have cell signal, they don't have music. That's how far. Why would we want to cling to the inferior when the superior has, in fact, already come? We know what lies ahead. I want what lies ahead. So this life-giving spirit, however, the spiritual is not first, but the natural and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have born the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. This is why I very often pray, Lord, mold us into the image of your son. Change us. Fashion us into the image of Jesus. We're being conformed spiritually. Philippians chapter 3, verse 21 says, The Lord Jesus Christ will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Luke 24, verse 39 and following, say, Behold, my hands and my feet, 
that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. This is after his resurrection, when he's meeting with the apostles. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, Have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate it in their presence. So as much as Jesus was human after his resurrection, he was also not restrained by the laws of nature. You can see in Luke 24, verse 31, Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. He doesn't say, hey, i got to go, guys. Um, I've called an Uber taxi, and they're waiting for me down front, and he walks down and gets in the car and drives away. He could literally just vanish from their midst. As much as he could eat fish and honeycomb in their presence, human, he could also just say, see ya, and was gone. We're going to be created into that image. Oh, I long for that. Right? Isn't that great when you're like, hey, let's go see the relatives for Christmas. Oh, the six and a half hour drive. You know what I'm saying? Uh, traveling at the speed of thought is faster than traveling at the speed of light. Literally, right? You can investigate that later on your own. Luke 24, verse 36 says, Now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in their midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit. Again, disappearing and appearing at will. I long for that, just to get rid of travel time. That'll be a wonderful thing. Uh, back in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Flesh and blood in this context means our present bodies. Okay, so Jesus is flesh and bone when he's appearing before them. So it isn't the thought that you have to be a spirit. In verse 51, behold, I tell you a mystery. Now, uh, this is not a mystery like an unknown thing. It's the sense that the Greek language gives of this is something you could not know without God revealing it to you. Okay, so it's that sense of a mystery. I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Now, all here means all believers. Some want to say Paul was talking about himself in the present Believers, And they try to then say, well, Paul was wrong, and they do all kinds of weird things. He was talking about all believers collectively, and that includes us. So this statement that he makes, you know, they tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. I know I'm racing through these things. My notes are available if you ever need them. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning at verse 15. Paul said to the church at Thessalonica, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. That's just a poetic way of describing death for the believer because they're not going to remain in the grave. They're going to be resurrected so they would talk about their body being asleep for the lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of god and the dead in christ will rise first 
Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. Remember those two words, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, not on the earth. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. The uh, rapture of the church. Some people say, oh, the rapture isn't even in the Bible. So why talk about God coming to the sky and taking the church off the earth when the scripture doesn't even talk about that? The two words, caught up, it was one word in the Greek language called harpazo. That was later converted into Latin. The word was raptus, which became the English word rapture. The idea behind this statement, harpazo, is to reach in and snatch something and yank it away with violent force. You know, if you just casually reach over and pick this up, that's not describing harpazo. Harpazo is landing next to me, slamming your hand down, crumpling the paper up and ripping it away as you ran off. That's harpazo. So those who are alive and remain on the earth will be harpazoed off the earth in the twinkling of an eye. That's how fast we're going. Mid-sentence, gone. You know, my grandchildren fall asleep that way sometimes. Papa, I was just, well, bang. You know, they're out. That's what we're looking forward to. That's what Jesus Christ's resurrection is about for us. Be we dead, we'll hear his voice before you guys do. We'll be resurrected out of the ground in our new glorious body and be gone. And others will join us. Or we'll be the, you know, the second to go and meet them in the air to be with the Lord. During the tribulation, during the seven years of God pouring his wrath out on this planet. You can read the book of Revelation to see more about this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, just to clear up this issue of sleep. It's not soul sleep, as some imply. Paul said, we are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. As soon as we depart from this body, our soul is in the presence of the Lord. We receive our new body when he comes to get the church. We are going to be in the presence of the Lord. The minute There's no you know, waiting, sleeping, being in the ground, any of that nonsense. You're an eternal being right now. Right now you're an eternal being. Because where are you going to spend eternity? That's the only question. In the presence of the Lord or separated from the Lord? Surrendered to him is how we find ourselves in his presence. For the corruptible, verse 53, must put on incorruption, and the mortal must put on immortality. So this corruption, putting on incorruption, resurrection is a must for Christians' destiny. It's, it's not something that's optional. In light of all this, how could the Corinthian Christians let go of such an important truth? Remember what he said in the beginning? Oh, foolish one. How could, you, how could you forget that? How could you neglect that? To leave it behind. We are looking for and longing for resurrection. Not death, not the end. The question raised, you know, how could they forget it? How could anyone who claims to be a Christian forget it for that matter? Our existence needs to be that we cling to the truth of resurrection. Presently and in the days to come. This is the message that the world needs to hear. The power over death 
the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is our resurrection also. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and we'll pray. Father, we pray again for all of Sri Lanka, but particularly those who have lost life and loved ones. Minister to them. May today be a poetic day of justice for them. Resurrection Sunday. To have lost those that they love, family and friends, on the day of your resurrection. I pray their hearts would cling to you and the hope that is in you. Father, I pray we would cling to it. Not, not just for our future. That we would live a resurrected life today. That our hearts and minds would be beyond the earthly, beyond the fleshly. That we would be of the Spirit. Fill us with your strength. Guide us as your sons and daughters. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.